Welcome back, everybody, to Two Beers, Please. I am Matthew Smith. I'm joined by my wonderful friend, Yannick. We're here to talk all things sports in what has been, uh, I mean, perhaps the biggest news of the week was the fact that there was no sports for a little bit. Uh, but we're, we're glad to have you here with us. Of course, follow the Twitter page over there at the number two BP underscore podcast. Our Instagram page is two beers, please underscore podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, so that you don't miss a beat of two beers, please, with us. A lot of exciting stuff going on for us. We've got some good friends of us helping us with new designs for the, the podcast, some sound design, some hopefully some products that we'll get whipping up. So I want to thank all our friends for kind of helping us build our podcast into what we want to uh, to make it. So appreciate all the help from all those guys. We're talking NHL and NBA playoffs today. Got some MLB power rankings. Of course, Yannick will have a celebration time where he gets to bask in the glory of Bayern Munich, as as he well should. Uh, and then, as, as I mentioned before, the big news of the sports world is the sports-wide strike that occurred in our country. But as always, when I host, got to give our partners, our ads, a little bit of a shout-out. Gold wing doors, stainless steel finish, and possibly a time machine? This is the sports car you want. The Belfast-made DeLorean is the peak achievement of the DeLorean Motor Company. This vehicle oozes elegance and swag, and did we mention it might be a time machine? DeLorean Motor Company, live the dream. If you don't know what a DeLorean is, go watch Back to the Future and also like punch yourself in the face for... Not having watched Back to the Future, I guess. Right. It's so funny because I love when Matt hosts. I just want Matt to host because he comes up with the weirdest ads. I <laughs> love it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to come up with something not the same, but something similar. Otherwise, my my episodes are going to be the one passed over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Our fake ads are the real highlight of this show. Really? I mean, it's your glowing personality. That's the highlight, my friend. I, oh, you're too kind. I literally, um, on Google the other day, was just like, I'm just going to look up a bunch of companies that have kind of gone under because after Blockbuster, like, you know, you kind of stop forgetting about all of them. There's, there's a lot. So I've got, I've got a library full of fake companies to help promote our show. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm really glad that as we grow our podcast, these fake companies are also getting a chance to shine again. Really, that's what we wanted. Yeah. That's what we wanted. We're see a comeback for Pan Am and DeLorean. You know what? <laughs> I'm glad I pulled – I should have pulled out the DeLorean one, but, I like, it was one of the early ones on the list, and I do love Back to the Future, like, probably one of my favorite movies. So I was like, I have, I have to do it. Right, yes. You know what, Matt? I'm all here for the DeLorean and for Blockbuster. Don't get me wrong. I think Blockbuster, in a sense, will be like, not the store itself, but I think the Blockbuster method will come back in 20 years when that's a cool thing to do. You know, it's like going to be like going to buy vinyl. Yeah, retro. Right. And so that'll come back and we'll be the ones that were the first ones to start it. And we better get our dang money. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. But I'm not here for Pan Am. I have to say I love you, Pan Am, but uh, there were lives at stake. That's all I have yeah. to say. You guys, <laughs> drop the ball a bit. 
dropped the ball. Also, I'm going to try to contain myself, guys, through this episode. Um, the Bayern treble win is always on my mind. But if I talk about it for too much, we won't talk about anything else. The one thing I will say was I freaking told you so! You did. You called it a while ago. I did. I did call it a while ago. It was a well-deserved treble. A good yeah. team. It was about time. It is about time. It's been there so many years of like just not being able to get through. I mean, tough for all teams and such and such, but I think – I think it was like long overdue for for this team, but the youth—I mean, the youth players for them—I think just finally kind of started showing up and showing out. I mean, obviously, even that game with Komen getting a goal and the rise of Alfonso Davies. I mean, for any team, it's important that the guys who have the potential to start impacting the team actually do it. Because if you're just like, "Oh, this guy's going to be good someday," and they never are, it doesn't really help. Right, and then you just end up like. I don't know. Chelsea. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to be Chelsea. Nobody wants to be Chelsea. All right, Jan. How are we feeling today? I mean, I said this last episode too, so it, me saying it again might lead people to think that I'm a little mentally unstable, in which case you would be correct. Yeah. Ac- but accurate. This is a very mentally unstable podcast. I, whew, Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I am overwhelmed with the amount of stimuli I've received over the last week since our last episode. I mean, the Byron Trouble we talked about, the NBA boycotts, um, obviously the the tragedy that occurred to us a couple a couple hours, honestly, ago, and. Um, yeah, just a lot going on, a lot of feelings, both good and bad and sobering. And so I am at peace, is what I'll say. I I am not happy by any means, but I am also not sad. I've I've had enough time to digest what all of these things mean to me, and I feel okay. I am at peace. I think that's solid. Thank you. But weird, I mean, with the pandemic too, it's just an odd it's an odd time for emotions and dealing with stuff because there's so much like so many times when you're dealing with whatever like one deals with through life the little bit of normalcy can sometimes help you know and just kind of mute all the emotions you're feeling but i think with the pandemic we're forced to sit with our emotions and like with all this the ups and downs of of what's going on right now with the world that it's, it's highlighted even more. Obviously like at the Chadwick Boseman news is just extremely sad, especially coming off the week of, of, you know, remembering Kobe and then this one coming out of, of nowhere. Um, a guy who's extremely talented. My favorite Chadwick Boseman story is he initially wanted to be like a writer and director. And then in his classes where you sometimes have to act for your other writers and, and directors and such and such. All of his classmates, everyone's just like, dude, what are you doing? Go be an actor. You're so good at this. Like this is this is what you should do, which is astounding because not many times are people like usually it's the other way around. You're like, hey, acting might not be your your thing. Try this, try that. And instead they were like, 
dude, you have you have to do this. You're far too talented. And we certainly saw that talent up close and personal with with a bunch of different movies that he was in. I watched, I already rewatched Black Panther and God dang, that movie is still so good. Yes. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, I think we will come to realize was a very, you know, once in a generation talent. I, of course, he's a great actor, but I think what made him a great actor was also the thing that would have made him a great director. And he was actually, there was some conversation going on about whether he was going to leave acting and go to directing in the near future. And obviously that never came to fruition and we'll never really know what that would have been. But I mean, he just, I think, I mean, look at the characters he played, right? Thurgood Marshall, King T'Challa, James Brown, Vonta Mack and Draft Day, you know, movies that are super important and not super important. And yet every single one of those characters are, are so full of life and are so truthful to the lives that these people led both, you know, fake and in reality. And I think he just was very much at peace with who he was. And I don't just mean that, like, of course he knew the news that he had cancer. And of course he was at peace with that. That's why he was able to kind of keep everything, you know, kind of under wraps with close family. But I just, I read more and more about the people that knew him and I am, I, I, I was so, you, I mean, we talked about it. I was crushed because it truly came out of nowhere. It felt like the day, I, you, like, because you said this earlier, it felt like the day Kobe Bryant died, where when I heard the news, I was like, what a bad fake thing to send around. Yeah. Like, what a bad like, fake thing. No, he's right. fine. It's Chadwick Boseman. Truthfully. And especially with the cancer, too, like with the people that are in the public eye, like we get so much. We like their lives were a part of like the entire ride when you're that popular. So for him to, you know, for us not to like know that that was going on with him and such and such, it's, it was so jarring and like shocking because we're so used to just being like, I mean, we talk about like celebrities who they're dating constantly. Like we, we, their lives are put under the microscope so much. So to be like, Oh, what? Like that, he was going through that and we had no idea is was, was very like kind of shocking because of just how we observe celebrities and stuff now. Right. And that's the thing, Matthew, even as famous as he was, he was never a celebrity. He was a man. He was an artist and he was, and I'm going to get religious today just because he was a man of faith and I am as well. Yeah, I mean, he was still, he was still a celebrity. For sure. <laughs> He was still a celebrity in the sense that he was in the public eye. But what I'm saying is he, I mean, you look at everything he did with his celebrity and he never asked for more attention than what was actually important about a project. You know, he didn't ask for any of that, you know, even, you know, his dating life was also private, you know, And, and it's not because he hated people knowing things, but it's because he knew why he was on earth. He had a special connection to what his purpose was. That was his whole thing, was talking about purpose. And he did what he loved and what he wanted to do literally until the day he died. And I was so sad when I heard about it, but I I do find so much joy and peace knowing that 
even though he was going through this horrible thing, he, I mean, cancer didn't beat him. He beat cancer, truthfully. Like, he might be dead, but it's about, you know, what you do with that time. And he didn't let cancer have one second of it. He didn't have, let him have one second of it. And he also didn't let, he took the burden off of us of knowing as well. And I just think, I don't know, what a strong icon is what I'll say too. And, and this is not to say, of, of course, everything that he did for African-American people, you know, through his roles. I think that was a big part where the roles he played was because he wanted to play those roles. These black icons that he wanted to put on the main screen, imbue with life so that <clears throat> black people in America, especially could see themselves represented. And yeah, I just, a legacy that will live on with us. And, and as you've seen the whole world react to it, right. You've seen how much he meant to everybody. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think culturally and certainly in the black community, but just in general, how big black Panther was, you know, the guy has was one of the, you know, just biggest icons right now. I get what you mean. We're like celebrity. Like he wasn't a celebrity for celebrity's sake. He's not a reality star, but you know, he's still a celebrity. You're saying sure. you're going to be Black Panther and then you get to sit courtside at all-star games. You're still kind of, they don't just do that for anybody. Like, I guess. Yeah. He, he had the, he's a stud yeah. and I think, I think too, like acting wise, like you're saying, just like how, uh, how settled he was with like the person he was. You see a lot of actors, like work, try and work so hard to show something. And he had this subtlety to him and this like very easiness to him where he could have these profound moments without trying, like he was it wasn't, he was like, all right, now I'm going to hit this profound moment in the, in the scene and in the story and stuff. There was this, this calmness and easiness to him that was still extremely profound and pr- extremely powerful. And the guy was, Unfortunately, I mean, I feel like just kind of starting to scratch the surface of what his career as an artist was going to be. So it's a very, very sad loss. And uh, we wish him and his family all the best. Jan, what are we drinking today? Well, welcome back to another edition of Yana Drinks Coffee at the Bar. I uh, yeah, I'm drinking my second coffee of the day, and I I I will say I had a milk stout last night. If that if that is of interest to anyone, I had a that doesn't milk count. stout. What you were drinking about last night? We can't you know what? Now. You know what? <laughs> it counts for me. That's exactly what I drank too late last night, and now I I couldn't have one at noon. All right, Matthew. Jeez, I've what are you there. drinking? Just a Pacifico. Oh, Pacifico. Just very nice cerveza. Nice, easy cerveza. Yeah. I love it. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I drink so much more. Like a lot of Brooklyn bars all have like Modelo or Pacifico. And I drink so much more Mexican beer now. And I I love it. I like it so much more than like, like if you're going to be like, hey, you want a Budweiser or a Pacifico? I'd much rather have a Mexican beer. They're better. That's my stance. Hot take from Matthew Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coming in scorching today, folks. What <laughs> it's done. All right, Jan, question of the day. One of the other big news from this week was Lionel Messi, the all-time great Barcelona-Argentinian player. He has stated he wants to leave Barcelona. Will he leave? And if he does, where do you think he's most likely to end up? 
Well, I had a different answer for this question about 24 hours ago. So it was ruled today. Soccer transfers. What can you? It is a. Oh boy! It was ruled today that the government was siding with Barcelona on his release contract clause. So the whole situation, for those of you that don't know, basically there was a contract clause in July that ended in July that said, you know, Messi could basically go if he wanted to go and that his $7 million contract clause would not become into effect. However, it is end of August now and he's trying to leave. And Barcelona is basically saying that clause expired. You have a $700 million contract clause that people have to buy out. And so my answer before that, that the court sided with, with Barcelona, basically, or the government sided with Barcelona, was that, yes, he's going to leave. And yes, he's going to Manchester City. I think that Guardiola is exactly the kind of bonehead coach that thinks that if he reconnects with an old player that somehow his fortunes are going to change i think man city just got out of a big money situation so they're ready to kind of defy everybody again because they're that's who they are and they didn't get in trouble so they're going to keep doing it and then we're going to be like see that's what happens when they don't get in trouble and they're going to buy Messi. he's going to be there for three years maybe they win one premier league that's it Messi is going to have a clear path to retirement in the u.s with New York City FC. And I think that's just probably the best move for him in general. Now, do I think he's going to do that now? I don't think so. There's one thing with spending money and and buying out someone's $700 million contract clause. That's, that's, I don't think anyone money. It's so much money, but I don't honestly, Matthew, I can't see him not leaving. You know, it's like, what is he going to do? I, I truthfully, I'm trying to think of another situation where a player so hated his own team. I, you know what I'm. You know who I think of. It's like if Jalen Ramsey had stayed with the Jaguars. What was he going to do? Play for them after dissing them every five seconds on Twitter? He was just going to play for the Jaguars. I know it's business, but like he's not going to preseason contracts. He's not going through COVID protocol purposefully so that he doesn't have to play for them. So I just don't see. I don't. It's going to be. Oh, it's going to be a bloodbath, my friend. It's going to be a bloodbath. But I think he's going to go. I just. I think he probably still ends up at Man City. I just don't know what the method of moving him is going to be if if he has that $700 million contract clause. Yeah. Yeah, I think you I mean me and you talked a lot about this when the with the initial news. And I do I think eventually like I, Messi's not going to be retiring at Barcelona. I do think that this transfer window I don't think he's going anywhere just because there are so many hurdles in the sense of money and and pride for not only Messi, but Barcelona. Um, I can't say I'm surprised that the Spanish government wants Leo Messi to stay in Barcelona and keep making Spain money. But because I think he's got a good argument like that because the con, the clause like, yes, it goes into like stops going at like July or whatever, but this season it's supposed to be July because like, that's all right. That's the end of the season. That's this and that. And this season's been, totally changed so i think he's got a good argument i'm not surprised they didn't listen to it but yeah i mean i think eventually he's gonna go but i don't think in this window i just don't think barcelona is gonna let him go for anything less than they think he's worth which i think we all can agree is is still a lot of money because a player's value also it's not only just what are they gonna do for you on the pitch 
it's the second any new team he goes to signs him messy jerseys are going to be their highest selling jersey they just don't like the guy is going to make whatever club he goes to a ton of money whether he wins on a game or not because of just the commodity that leo messi is you know he's one of the most popular athletes in the world i do think i think city i think psg still has a good chance apparently neymar was on the phone with him recently talking to him about coming there as a man united fan it would break my heart if he goes to Manchester City, but I told you this before, I think I would be willing to pay that price if there is a part of the clause that he eventually comes to New York. Like I'll, I'll, I'll see him in battle against Man U if then I can see him in person in the MLS. I think that's, I think it's a, a fair trade. But yeah, I mean, he certainly isn't gonna end his career there. We'll see if he even plays another game there, but I don't think. I think this transfer window, they're gonna they're gonna hang on to him. They're gonna play hardball. Everyone's gonna be playing hardball in this. But I think right. for now, I have no. Uh, for now, I think he's gonna be a, a Barcelona player at least for a few more months. Right. I have no doubt that they're gonna play hardball. I have no doubt they'll probably play the hardest ball that Barcelona's played in this you know century. I just, <laughs> the I just ball. the hardest ball. I like that. I, thank you. <laughs> I just don't see a world where after all of this, what does Messi do? He just puts on the Barcelona journey and sucks it up. I just, that's hard for me because, you know, if I get it, it's business. I get it. You're a player. But at the same time, are you? Because you're Messi. You're a legend. You're not a player. You're not the same. You know, it's like if the Cavs had not let LeBron go to the Lakers, you know, if they had, if they had had the same thing, LeBron is not the same as you know any other player so it's kind of like do you say i'm not playing for you and have so much money that you basically like hold out you know what is that gonna mean i just don't i think that's i think that's likely i think it's likely he's on barcelona's roster until january or next summer and doesn't step on the field for them once i think there's a good chance that that happens because money wise he doesn't need to Exactly. And I think Barcelona is going to be because they're, you know, they're their own pridefulness is going to be like, well, fine, but we're still not going to let you go for cheap. And I think too, you have to consider the COVID implications of like what can teams spend right now. Where next summer, I think every club is going to be first off more viable, like just to have the money to do it, and secondly, probably be like, okay, we know that this is a possibility. Like we're going to work the next 12 months. We're going to do whatever we can to make sure when Messi leaves Barcelona, he's coming to our club. Probably not 12 months, but you know what I mean? Right. I, yeah, I just don't, I don't see a world where he puts on a Barcelona Jersey again. I, I agree. I think he'll, he'll leave maybe not this transfer window because of all the drama, but he'll leave. And honestly, between those two clubs, I'm a little worried that going to Manchester city and then phasing into New York city FC doesn't help his legacy. I'm not saying it ruins it. Of course, you can't ruin his legacy unless he does something atrocious. But I think going to PSG, maybe helping that team get back to the final and win, I think that would be lovely. I would think that would really be nice, and I would love to see that for him and for PSG. Man City, they need to rebuild too. I don't know what they're thinking 
getting messy. They're like, oh, we lost David Silva. Time to get messy. I'm like, oh, you know what? You didn't lose because you don't have a good midfielder. You have the best midfielder in the world. You have Kevin De Bruyne. You don't need another midfielder. You need somebody who has two legs and can defend a goal. That's what you (laughs) need. And his name's not Eric Garcia. His name's not Nicholas Otamendi. His name's not Laporte. You have nobody. You haven't had a defender since Vincent Company. Get True. a damn defender. I'm surprised City haven't gotten Vincent Company back, to be quite honest. Truthfully. They were talk- <laughs> Get him out of here. He's retired now, isn't he? They're like, come back, please. We need you. And he'd probably be their best defender right now. Oh, absolutely. He would be their best defender. If they went out and bought, oh my goodness, what's his name? Our favorite Jamaican from Leicester City. West Morgan. Morgan. If they went out and bought West Morgan, he would be their best defender. I have no doubt in my mind. Like, I just, they just don't have any clue what they're doing in the back. But you know what? I'm not going to blame Otamendi, Laporte, Garcia on on their own. Because you know whose fault it is. It's Pep's fault. It's not any, it, it's not anyone else's fault. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to set up. You have to put your players in a position to win. Right. You have to. You absolutely have to put your players in a position to win. And he never has and he never will. And when are we going to start waking up and realize that it, the way his last name is spelled is Fragiola? <laughs> How long did you take on, on thinking that one up? I saw it on Twitter. I can't take credit. <laughs> uh, you should have taken credit. I, I know. Well, you know, just in case we start making money one day, I don't want someone to come for me. Right. We don't want the DeLorean Motor Company getting mad at us for taking credit where credit isn't due. Exactly. It's going to be be an interesting drama to see with him. I think, I mean, I think we're both in agreement. Eventually, he'll be playing for another club, which I think is kind of fun. It's, it's, it's like, I love Messi. How can you not? And so it'll be kind of interesting to see where, where his career path takes him next. All right, Jan, we're going to pivot from the big soccer news of the week to one of the biggest sports stories, I would argue, ever in what has become a sports league-wide strike throughout America. Uh, it's an incredible, unprecedented action that that really touched, I think, all American sports. I think, too, it's important. I know one WNBA player was like, this isn't a boycott, this isn't a strike, but it really is a strike. I mean, it's a strike of of the workers being like, no, we're not going to perform because we are we are focused on something else. Obviously, it's like different in the sense of like most strikes are like, we're not going to do this because we want better wages or better health or what have you. But it is a strike because I think most importantly, it shows the power that these employees like sometimes we forget that athletes who make millions of dollars are still at the end of the day employees. And it really shows the power that they have, not only over these leagues, but I mean, ESPN that day had to be like, okay, what are we putting on? I think, and maybe it was on like TNT, the first one. They're like, all right, we got to put on this Drew Barrymore movie because we were supposed to have games. Like, it really shows the power. Of course, it started on Wednesday when the Bucks decided not to go out for their game against the Magic. Um, there was news that the other NBA players or other NBA teams that evening were planning on striking as well. So the league decided just postpone the games. We saw the WNBA players take the stand as well. Came out on Wednesday with Jacob Blake spelled out on t-shirts and seven bullet holes in the back. 
I'm not sure there's any league that does it better than the WNBA when it comes to making a statement. These individuals do not mess around. They don't mince words. And they even have an outspoken outspoken bigot as an owner down in Atlanta. So I've always wondered, I'm like, does that fuel it even more that they're like, we're going to shove this right in your face because you're a horrible person. We saw several MLB games get postponed, Major League Soccer postponed games. The NHL, after taking some flack for not doing really anything on, on the Wednesday, decided to postpone games as well. They came out in a group and made a statement as well concerning the strikes and uh, the racial, the fight against racial injustice. Uh, many NFL teams canceled practice this week to show their solidarity with the movement. And we even had individual athletes such as Naomi Osaka, who joined in with her refusal to play in her semifinal, semifinal match at the Western and Southern Open, which, again, showing the power of, of these individuals and, and of the worker, forced the tournament to delay the matches. These, you know, these players have so much – like, I, people are like, oh, this isn't going to do anything. I'm like, how can you say that when this shows, like, just the work stoppage that happens? But it was, like I said, sports-wide strike. I've never seen anything from, like, so many leagues from so many sports, this amount of unity to come together and be like, we are in this fight together. It's honestly a ton of credit to Colin Kaepernick. I don't think we'd be here if we hadn't had him. But just an astounding week for sports, an astounding week for America uh, and, and, and the fight against injustice because this is so much bigger than just athletes not playing their game. Right. I mean, sports strikes have existed for as long as sports have existed. You know, I mean, you go back in history, there's so many different uh, examples. You have Jesse Owens and Mac Robinson protesting Nazi Germany at the 36 Berlin Games when they didn't salute Hitler. And you had Bill Russell and the black members of the Boston Celtics boycotting the 1961 exhibition game because they were free service at a restaurant. But what I think we should give Colin Kaepernick credit for, and obviously all these players credit for, but I think what is new about this is not the fact that the athletes are striking for racial uh, justice, but it's because they're striking for racial justice on the topic of things that have nothing to do with sports it have everything to do with them as individuals and so you have kind of a strike that is based on the tenant that we are not only athletes we are individuals and because we are individuals yeah Colin Kaepernick's not getting stopped and 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 by police and getting shot by police but that is not the point you know it's like yes these black players make a lot of money and are very rich but that is not the point Right. And that's I think people forget that the fact that they're protesting and showing this unity shows that, hey, you have to look at us and you have to hear us not only as athletes, but as as individuals who are mistreated as a group in this country. And you're not allowed to just write us off because we became successful. We were the lucky ones. We are just like everybody else. When we take this jersey off, we are like everybody else. And you have to see that. And if you see that, then you know that we can't be playing while all of this is going on. So I think that's very beautiful. I mean, historical, you're right. I mean, the unity that we saw, the, the domino effect that we saw from the Bucks onward was, uh, was, was crazy. I, I will say one or two things. Um, it, not in defense, but just kind of, you know, in explanation of some things. There were some people giving the Orlando Magic flack because they didn't, 
Dude, the Bucks. They, I thought the Bucks like kind of screwed the Magic. Right. I, I I don't even think they screwed the Magic. Obviously, it's more personal for the Bucks, right? It happened in Wisconsin. Like they had their own decisions, and it was definitely. It sounded like George Hill got in there, and everybody was like, "Ah, uh, like what's like what do we do?" So I do get that it was a last minute decision. And should they conf- have conferred with the Orlando Magic in one room? Absolutely. But people coming on and saying like, or in the Orlando Magic, we're ready to play. I'm like, yeah, because they had a basketball game. Yeah, right. Like, I, like, like I thought the Bucks. I was like, Bucks, like, have, I, and I get what the Bucks were trying to do as well. Of like, it is a little more shocking in the sense of like, all right, we hadn't heard because like the Celtics and the Raptors, there was a lot of conversation about they might they might they strike a game. They might not play this game. Where the Bucks, it really it was just like. Boom, dang, they're not coming out. So I get what their goal was too, because it is, it does grab your attention more when it is something that's so like organic like that. But yeah, I was kind of like, come on, guys, like you're really kind of throwing the magic under, like maybe try and give them a heads up. Cause even magic players were like, yeah, we would have liked to know. We would have been absolutely down to do that. Like we were 100%. Right, exactly. And, People need to understand that. That's all. I think that that people putting the magic in a bad light is completely not fair. And and that's just what I have to say about that. The other thing is, I'm not at all surprised that the NHL was the league that was the last to boycott. You know, obviously they had games and they boycotted two days. We just have to remember that, like, of course the NHL isn't the, is the league that was late to the game because they are such a white sport. Like all the players minus like a couple are white. Is that right? Absolutely not. Of course, there needs to be more representation in that league. And there needs to be a discussion about that in the league. But just based on like who they're comprised of, I'm very much not surprised. I think they made a great move by boycotting a further day when they could have just taken the one. And I I think it's a little unfair to call them almost equate them to like racism. Of course, hockey players that are playing for their teams and these teams aren't like Evander Kane who came out and like PK Subban and all of them. Of course, like that's a different situation, but I, I, I'm not surprised that the NHL was late to the league. I really am not. And also you do have to understand that while it was really great to see all this unity, there was some last minute things happening. So it's really hard to cancel playoff games last minute. So it's great that that happened across the league, but the fact that a couple of them you know, started and ended doesn't isn't necessarily a hit on them unless the owners came out and said, I don't believe in this. We're still playing. Of course, that's different. We see that with the Mets GM who got mad and is in all that kind of stuff. We see that with the <clears throat> with the um, oh, who is it? The Utah MLS coach who, you know, now has to sell his team. It's officially has to sell his team because he's a jagweed, you know, and I think it's just. I love that. I love that people are getting caught in the crossfire because this is last minute and they haven't had time to compose their thoughts about it in a succinct way. Because we're seeing the people who, you know, are racist when, yeah, coming I mean, out. It's easy. It's easy to be like, all right, here's my prepared statement about this and that. But when like like the quick fire, like a quick fire question, when you don't have the time to try and like compose something, your true sort of thoughts on something become revealed yeah right and root those guys out now everybody the whole Mets GM thing was hilarious if you haven't read about it I'm not going to talk about it now but you have to it's so so funny got caught on the hot mic and just real real funny but yeah I it's just a historic sign of unity 
I'm very proud of all the players. We've spoken about it before. And yeah, that's that's eaten up the sports news this week for sure. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just like incredible to see just how, like every single sport in America was affected by it. And I agree with you. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say the NHL is all bad and racist. I think it is. I think it is a show of I mean, the NBA is composed of of a majority of black men as opposed to the NHL or even a sport like baseball. They, they aren't as uh, diverse in that sense. So their, you know, their feelings on the pulse of everything probably aren't going to be as, you know, apt as the MLB or the NBA, pardon me, or like NFL. But um, I thought, I thought the NHL, did well in there like they didn't they didn't like not do anything and then like stick to that ground and be like and we're just not on it like they were like no like we we want to be a part of this too we do support right we are we are in this fight with you guys so i thought i thought that was nice and like just i just don't understand why anyone has an issue with this like we have a legal system here in america and many parts of it are not perfect certainly there are parts of it that have been exploited but everyone is supposed to be guaranteed a trial by jury. You're supposed to be guaranteed legal representation. And we have these laws in place because that no one is judge, jury, and executioner. And the fact that people can't, like when they're like, well, he was doing something wrong. You're like, okay. But we don't live in a society where when you do something wrong, you just get shot. You're supposed to be able to go to trial. Like if he had a warrant, he's supposed to be able to go to trial with that warrant. So I, the, just the very basic stuff that our legal system is based on, like, how do you, you not understand that? It's a very simple thing to wrap your head around it. Right. And, and, and similarly, on the same vein, I don't think just because someone does one good thing that they should all of a sudden, we should never pay attention to them for any bad things. I think everybody, you know, the actions that they take should be looked at and then consequences doled out accordingly on both sides of that coin, good and bad. And I just, yeah, I agree. And I just also think it's such a, you know, of course there's a lot of different issues at play here. So this isn't going to be a blanket statement for everything, but you know, we've talked about it before. I don't think, you know, the actions that someone take define a person for sure, but the reactions that they have towards the consequences of an action define them even further. You know, and so I think that people need to pay attention to that more so that we can, you know, get through a couple of these issues a little easier and more efficiently. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it was tremendous unity and, and fight from all the athletes. And I'm sure there was some fear in, in a lot of these camps, but they appeared fearless. And I, you know, I tweeted this the other day too. I was far from an amazing athlete, but I loved playing the game. And so I, you know, for all of them to be like, no, we're not going to play this game because, because like you said, at the end of the day, like Naomi Osaka, she was like, yeah, I'm a tennis player, but I'm a black woman first. Like this isn't even just them doing stuff as athletes. It's them as a person and them as a person being like, I can't do what I love most because not only do I want to make a statement against it or, you know, statement, you know, to fight this thing, but also because I don't, I'm going through shit. Uh, and I think like at the same point of like all these athletes doing, making such a great statement and also the fight 
for racial injustice doesn't just fall at their feet either. Like they, it would be unfair to be like, and they, and they have to do this and fight for all, like they can just be people trying to deal with this like anybody else. Yes, 100% agree with you there, buddy. So we, we applaud them all. It was I mean, truly a historic week, but we will now segue to some actual action as the, uh, the NBA did decide after striking for three days, they decided to start back the playoffs up uh, yesterday on Saturday. So we'll do a little recap of what's going on in the NBA. As far as the Eastern Conference, the Bucks got by the Magic four games to one after losing game one. Honestly, might be a good omen for the Bucks because the Magic beat the Raptors game one in their series last year. And like we mentioned before, the last time the two number one seeds lost their game one to the eight seed was in 2003. And one of those number one seeds, Spurs, went on to win the title. So I, <laughs> that doesn't really mean anything, but, you know, hey, maybe some good omens. Uh, That's fair. Well, yeah, you know, you got to take got to take your positives where you can see them, especially in a loss. Um, Giannis was his normal dominant self, recording a double double in every single game. But you know, it really turned around for them, especially after Game One, was Chris Middleton finding his stroke. He's he struggled down in the bubble for a bit, but the last couple games, he he found found his shot, found his game. When he can be a reliant second option and, and drop around twenty points a game, they become far more dangerous. And quite frankly, they're going to need him to do that if they want to make a finals run. I, if he doesn't show up against the Heat, they won't even be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So hopefully for them, Middleton will continue his strong play. Uh, as for the Magic, got to give a shout out to maybe the most underappreciated uh, basketball player in the NBA right now, Nikola Vucevic. The guy is an absolute offensive beast, and he has been for a long time. Uh, finally got his first all-star selection last year. But just an absolute beast down low, and I don't think Nikola Vucevic gets nearly the amount of credit he deserves. But Bucks get by them, and the next series or next round, they will be playing off against another Florida team, the Miami Heat. Miami swept the Pacers in the first round, and honestly, never really struggled in that series. You know, I think the Heat. Obviously, this is Jimmy Butler's team, but their power really comes from their ability to attack by committee. They've got so many contributors. You had Dunk, Duncan Robinson <laughs> in the fourth one game, points one game. You got Tyler Hero, of course, Drogic, Bam Adebayo, Jay Crowder, Iggy, Derek Jones. They are one of the deepest teams in the league, and they're going to be a real challenge for Milwaukee, especially if Giannis, like I mentioned, you know, if Giannis is asked to do everything, I think the Heat win this series because they just have too many ways to hurt you. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how Bam does against Giannis. Do I think you can stop Giannis? No. But I think as far as defensive options go, Bam Adebayo is about as good as he can get uh, to guard somebody like Antetokounmpo. Pacers let go of Nate McMillan, which I think you and me both agreed was was a little unfair. You know, I understand they had four straight first-round exits under him, including three sweeps. But this year in particular, they had to overcome a lot of injuries. And I thought he was doing good good things with the team. So I'd – I wasn't a fan of that firing. Uh, he's got, and that's that's a tough job. And it's not like, I mean, Brogdon's great, Oladipo's great, Miles Turner's getting to be a better player, but it's not like they really have the game breaker that some of these guys have. So I would have liked to see him stick with Nate McMillan, but unfortunately let go. And now they'll start their coaching search. Search. 
Of course, Mike D'Antoni's name has been rumored. I think Brett Brown will probably even be an option for them. So we'll see what the Pacers do next. <clears throat> Yonix Boston Celtics flew by the Ben Simmons list 76ers. Yeah. Personally, I think Boston might be better without Gordon Hayward because it allows Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kimba more time on the ball. And really, besides Brown, of course, Tatum's a great defender, but offensively, besides Brown, those guys need the ball in their hands to impact the game a lot. So I think the loss of Hayward is might be one of those addition-by-subtractions things for the Celtics. They're starting off pretty well against the Raptors right now, up 31-13, to 13, so... So far, so good. Honestly, though, this series was more about the ineptitude of the Sixers. And so many people this week have been trying to point the finger at what went wrong at Philly. It was this and that. Personally, I don't think it's one thing. I think it was everything. You know, Brett Brown was fired. I thought deservedly so. He just wasn't able to really motivate those guys and figure out a strategy with Simmons and B that worked. And, you know, he... He's a good coach. I just don't think he was a good coach in that situation. And so I think it was smart to get rid of Brown. But again, I don't put all the blame at his feet. Now, his job was certainly made harder by the Sixers front office that clogged up that front court with players and massively overpaid guys like Al Horford and Tobias Harris. And you have, I think, $60 million that's going to those two guys uh, combined, which is just way too much money for guys that underperformed extremely. And I mean, I, I love Al Horford, but he's just getting older. And Harris just didn't. Harris is getting paid $34 million this year. And if you had just gone off how he played, I don't think anyone would guess that is his contract. Um, and then also, you know, the players are at fault because, like I said, those two guys kind of underperforming. And then there's Joel Embiid, who does not bring the commitment or the grind that is required to be a great player. Is he insanely talented? Yes. I mean, he still averaged 30 points per game this series. But he starts out seasons out of shape. He doesn't want to go down and work hard. He just kind of wants to rely on this, this talent that he has, which is immense, but he's not willing to match that talent with the work ethic that would make him one of the best players in the league. So lots to figure out in Philly. Personally, I don't think – I mean, if you can find the right coach, I don't think you need to get rid of Simmons or Embiid yet. I think there is a way that you can make those guys work, but you got to clean up that front court. you got to get guys like J.J. Redick that can – spread the floor and shoot the three for you because that's not what Simmons is going to do. And really that's not what Embiid should be doing. Embiid should be down in the paint. So we'll see what happens with Philly. Still lots of possibility to, to turn it around, but they've got their own hurdles to figure out. And uh, Boston, as mentioned, will be facing off against the defending champion Toronto Raptors who themselves made pretty easy work of, of our Brooklyn Nets. Of course, Brooklyn was deplete, depleted, but Toronto looked strong. Quite the opposite of Joel Embiid. This team works extremely hard from their stars in Pascal Siakam and Lowry to Brett Van Vliet down to Matt Thomas and Chris Boucher at the end of the bench. You know, I think Nick Nurse, I think you got a good argument there to, that he's the best coach in the NBA right now. And these guys just epitomize team. And if you want any proof of that, they're 150-122 game four win over the Nets was the first time ever, playoff or regular season, that a bench scored 100 points. So Toronto, do they have the gamer? Like, is Siakam and Lowry, or maybe even Fred Van Vliet, are they going to be able to get those shots and create those opportunities the way Kawhi was last year for them when, when things aren't going great? I don't know, but it's 
the way they're playing as a team, they're going to be a tough out. And of course, Brooklyn next year, watch out because a healthy Katie and Kyrie, I think they're right there. They're already a legitimate Eastern Conference threat. What'd you see out of the East, Jan? Yeah, I mean, come on. The Nets are going to have Katie, Kyrie, and Karis Levert. That's name uh, name a much better big three right now. I, I don't think you can. And yeah, the East is exciting because we all thought the Bucks, you know, of course the Raptors are good, but the Bucks, the Bucks and the Raptors, and you're seeing that it's a possibility that neither of those teams get to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's if the Heat played the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, I would not be like, "Oh my god, what an upset." Of course, it would be an upset if the Heat beat the Bucks. It would be an upset, but I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't right. be shocked at all. So I think it, 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 the East ended up being a lot more exciting than people expected, which is good because the East is always a little less exciting than the West in recent years. But I think that the Bucks first, first round was the most exciting. But uh, I think I agree. And now it's going to keep, I mean, one win out of the other four series. But I think I agree with you where now it's going to turn up and be a blast. For sure, yeah. I guess I meant less about like the competition in the first round and more about w- how these teams have played going into their semifinal uh, games. But yeah, a lots of great things that I mean. The Heat look are the deepest team in the in this in this you know playoffs, and that's going to be really hard for the Bucks to beat a Bucks team that relies on Giannis to get those double doubles. That relies on Chris Middleton. They kind of remind me of the Clippers. You know, Chris Middleton and Paul George have to perform, or those teams aren't going anywhere. So I do think. It'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, and, 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 you know, kind of the same thing with the Celtics and Raptors. I I think it was less Gordon Hayward diminished their ability to have the ball in their hands and more that the, the injury to Gordon Hayward kind of coincided with Kemba Walker getting more minutes off of his injury. I think that is kind of, he now is able to play freely and he has the ball more simply because he's on the court more than he was in the beginning eight games because he was getting like 18 minutes. You know, he wasn't really getting anything. But I agree. I mean, they they look great. The problem is with the Celtics and I and of course they can beat the Raptors. They can. They absolutely can. It's going to be a tough fight. But the Raptors are so deep on their bench that, for example, they're up 36 to 17 right now. But I guarantee you that gets chopped down in the second quarter because they do have to rely on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker, maybe Marcus Smart. And past that, you have to kind of put your reliance on people like Daniel Tice, who's average, you know, Ben Wanamaker, who's overperforming, and even still, he's average. They have a lot of young players who might be able to kind of ball out there. You know I want to see Taco Fall get a couple more minutes. Give him some minutes, coach. Just you gotta, but I it, it'll be interesting to see whether that core can hold up against, like you said, a Raptors team that just can attack you from so many different ways. I I think, I, I think you know, with the 76ers, I have to say really quick, I think it's ridiculous that we have to talk about the coach that goes to Philly. Can he handle Joel Embiid and his diva, you know, nature? And I just think for any professional sport, that's not just like stupid. That's embarrassing. If I was Joel Embiid, part of the job, I'm listening to the people talk about his personality like this. How am I not going home and being like, wow, I'm pathetic? Truthfully, like you have all the talent to be, you know, I'm not going to say this, but you have all the talent to compete with Giannis Antetokounmpo on any given day. And yet you are 
18 rungs below him on the ladder. And I don't know how that's possible with the talent and size that you have. So wake up. You're still young. You won't be forever. Play basketball and 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 be there, you know? Like we 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 want to celebrate Kobe Bryant in this week and it's like Kobe Bryant wouldn't want to play with you. And that's that's a bad sign because you don't work hard. And it's that's not, not, not Jimmy get the hell out of Philly. Right, exactly. And that's probably why, honestly. And and Ben Simmons obviously has some other issues, but I really think the issue is can Joel Embiid get over himself? Can Joel Embiid get over himself? I don't know if he can. I would certainly hope so. I'd love to see him be the player that he is. Like you said, he averaged 30 points, even with all of this. Can you imagine what he would do if he had just a good head on his shoulders for two seconds? You know, it, it's it's just kind of ridiculous. And the fact that we have to talk about that in professional sports ever always peeves me because that should be the last thing that we should be worrying about whether they want to be there or not. If you don't want to be there, don't be there. No one's asking you to. But yeah, 76ers have a lot of problems. They'll figure it out. Obviously, McMillan getting fired, I told you, not not into it, not into it. Obviously, I get it that there's some history behind it. It's not just this season. But, I mean, I, I think the Pacers are in line to be a good team, and whatever coach takes over them, other than the coach that takes over the Brooklyn Nets and obviously what they're going to be next year, right. I think I think that probably Indiana is one of the next best places to go if you're looking for a coaching job. So I... I'm excited to see what comes of them. Obviously still have Victor Oladipo, who I love. He didn't get to, you know, really show off obviously with injury and stuff, but I love Victor Oladipo so much. And yeah, the East just looks exciting. Bucks heat. I don't know. Celtics Raptors. I hope it's the Celtics. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, it's kind of a toss up in both of those games. We have favorites. Yes. The Bucks and the Raptors are obviously the favorites. I'm never going to say it's like an even decision, but I just think, with the depth that the Heat have, I think the Heat are a mismatch for the Bucks. I think they are. I think when the Bucks go against teams that are good versus when they go against players that are good, they have a harder time, right? Because their two players, three players can outperform two, three players. It's really hard for them to outperform a whole team that's good. And the Heat are that, right? And the same thing with the Celtics. They're really good against a lot of teams, but we saw them struggle against a couple teams that just were deeper than them and the raptors are deeper than them so it'll be interesting to see what happens in both i won't be surprised if any of these teams are in the conference finals and quite honestly matthew yeah do i still think the lakers are going to get to the end and win yes do i think that they're going to have an easy time against whoever ends up at the end of this dog fight i don't think so i think it's going to be real hard for them yeah i mean i think the Bucks, the Bucks bench just haven't haven't been themselves since coming down to the bubble because you've got you've got the guys besides Chris and Giannis. I mean, Marvin Williams has been a contributor. You've got the Lopez brothers. You've got Ilyasova, Corver, George Hill, Connaughton, and, and DiVincenzo. You so you've got the guys that have shown they can be supporting players, but they haven't they haven't reached their heights that they did earlier in this season. And if they don't, and it falls to a guy like Giannis to do everything, then I think the Heat just with their depth are going to be are going to be tough to take down. Um, exactly. Yeah. As, as for the Celtics, like I do, I mean, I just think the ability to get Kimba, Jason, and Jalen Brown the ball more is going to be good because I think Tatum too. Like, there's times where Tatum looks like one of the best offensive players in the league, but he still, and this might just be you know part of youth wise, he's not always so consistent. But I think him getting the ball more, 
being able to be part of that offense because sometimes players just aren't that helpful. Like some guys are great at being role players and can do all the little things for you. Some guys just need to have the ball in their hand to really make a difference. So I think the, I, I think him having the ball in his hand more will help make him more consistent. But we'll see. They're, they really do feel like uh, like toss-ups, both these series. And that's always fun because sometimes it's like, all right, we know who's going to make at least the conference finals, and then it's kind of a toss-up from there. But yeah, games are, I mean, like you said, of course the Heat beating the Bucks would be an upset. But I don't think, I mean, if, you, if anybody was like, oh, I'm so surprised, then you haven't been watching. Right. So we make our way over to the Western Conference where things have been far more exciting in the first round. The Lakers became the first Western Conference team to advance to the second round after winning game five over the Trailblazers. There was there was a big sense of upset possibilities after the Blazers game one win, but their fire eventually kind of started petering out. And I think you saw too, you know, the Lakers, there was, a, there was this kind of idea of like, oh, are the Lakers – are they going to be able to turn it on? Are they going to be that team that we've seen and, and has looked like the best team in the NBA a lot? But I think we we forgot how smart LeBron James is in the sense of the Lakers were like, we don't need to fight, fight, fight every second right now. The Blazers have had to fight, fight, fight every second since they got down to Orlando. And I think that started to play a factor in this series because the Blazers have been clawing and scratching and, and just fighting their way to make the playoffs while the Lakers are like, we're going to be the top seed. So I think that it started it started to show in their legs, certainly started to show in Dane. I mean, what Dane was doing was incredible, but the reason people don't shoot 35 feet three-pointers all the time is because it's a tough shot to hit, especially when you got tired legs. And we started seeing that. We started seeing some of those tough, those difficult shots that he was making not always falling, of course, also was was affected by by his injuries. But I think, you know, there's a layup's always going to be easier than a three pointer. And just he was the, the game he was playing was a difficult game to play consistently. And eventually it kind of caught up to him on the same token. LeBron is doing absolutely everything for the Lakers team. And Anthony Davis started to explode. I thought he started playing a lot smarter. He started picking his spots for those threes more intelligently started using his size to attack the hoop. And we've still seen that that Lakers bench struggle. Um, and I do think they're going to have to have an impact for this team to win it all. But if you're going to pick, you know, a, a pair of players to really take your team a long way with your bench struggling, it's tough to argue against LeBron and AD. And when LeBron and AD are on, too, they make it very easy for that bench to help contribute. So they're on to the second round. They're going to be facing either the Rockets or Thunder, which has been a wild series in itself, truly back and forth. After the first two games, I thought it was over. Houston seemed to have control of the series. They just looked good. OKC kept doing the unexpected, which they've done all year. They fought and got a game three overtime win, helped ignite them, and they were able to win game four as well to even the series two to two. Saturday, it kind of went back to to what we – I think expected from this series, the Rockets cruised to a 114-80 win, really highlighting the work of their defense. I think whenever you think Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, and, and Houston, you think offense, but that defense was on yesterday very impressively. Russell Westbrook returned. He struggled, but I don't think you know one game return of him struggling isn't going to be the worst thing. And if there's any player that can bounce back from a struggling game, it probably is Russell Westbrook. The guy's got – 
very short-term memory. So I think Houston's got this thing wrapped up. I'd be surprised if, if OKC even wins game six. But they have surprised us before. But I think it's looking like a Houston-LA series, which should be a blast. Uh, I think Houston, just like Miami, Milwaukee, do I expect Houston to win? No. But if they win, I'm not going to be shell-shocked. So the other game, uh, Nuggets and Jazz, I think probably has been the most – well, I don't know. That's tough. I was going to say the most entertaining. The next no, two I'll, series – The next I'll two series with you there. But I, you know what? I will say this. I think team-wise, this has been the most entertaining series. Uh, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell have brought the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry to the NBA postseason. Woo! The Jazz overall, I think, have looked the better team. I think the Jazz have looked as good as almost anyone. They're up 3-2 right now. They got Mike Conley returning. Jordan Clarkson off the bench has been an absolute game-breaker, averaging just under 20 points for them in the series. As for Denver, you got Murray and Jokic, Jokic who have really been the stalwarts for Denver. Jamal showing he is one of the most creative offensive players in the league. I mean, that, that like, what, 360 layup he did? Like, who else is even going to try that? That is the most Jamal Murray shot I've ever seen. And you got Jokic proving even more and more that he is perhaps already the greatest passing big man the NBA has ever seen. I think what's hurting the Nuggets, especially in comparison to the Jazz, is their bench has been streaky. You got some of those role players like Michael Porter Jr. at times doing really well, Monte Morris doing well, and then other times they just they aren't rising to the occasion. They do get Gary Harris back today, so we'll see if that can kind of help them. It's tough to pick anyone here. I do think the Jazz are going to win because they've just got a little more – I think their 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 defense and just they've got a few more veterans guys guys like Conley who I think was help help see this team through the series. But I hope it goes Game Seven because it's been an absolute blast and the back and forth between Mitchell and Murray has been astounding. Uh, and they'll play either the Mavericks or the Clippers. I would argue the story of the playoffs, Mister Luka Doncic, the man from Slovenia, has. Been doing, like, I remember in all the pre-draft talk, there was, you know, the talk of, of what Doncic could be someday. And here he is in his third season, and he already is it. I mean, the team is down 3-2, to two, but you're playing one of the favorites to win the title. The Clippers are, are one of the best teams. But Doncic has been incredible. He's got two 40-point games, a triple-double, and a buzzer beater in game four. The guy has been able to take Dallas where no one thought they could. I mean, you look at these teams on paper, and the Clippers look far the better team. You've got Kawhi and Paul George, and again, I would say the deepest team in the West um, with the guys that you got Reggie Jackson, Morris, Harrell, Lou Williams, Shaman. I mean, they got they got so many people that help make an impact on the game for them. But it has not stopped Doncic from making this thing a, a series. He has struggled with turnovers a lot in this one, but you know he's a young guy who's asked to do so much that I don't think the turnovers are like the worst thing. I, like I, I, I think Doncic is going to be a guy who learns curbs, you know, curbs these amount of turnovers as he plays more. But I think also helping Dallas was the disappearance of Paul George. And in Game Five, he was found thirty-five points on sixty-seven percent shooting, and I think he needs to let the game come to him. Sometimes PG thirteen. Once that more difficult shot where it's just like, dude, attack the hoop. You've got the size. You've got the quickness to go and get an easier bucket. Let the game come to you. 
And then those more difficult shots are, are going to fall. We saw that more so in game five. I hope I'm wrong, but I think the Clippers got this, especially if Paul George shows up as he did. Um, and I just think John Doncic is asked to do too much. They've had some role players play really well in Curry and Hardaway um, and Kleber, but they don't have they don't have quite the bench that like the Clippers do. So I think I think LA has gotten this series wrapped up, but this has truly been a revelation of the bright bright future Luka Doncic has in this league. Right. I mean. I just talked about how exciting the East is, but let's be honest, it's still nothing compared to the West. Oh, yeah. Truthfully, it's crazy the amount of great teams. If any of those teams go to the, the final, I'm not I'm not I'm not worried about it. I think the West is probably just gonna be even no matter who it is. I think You got the Jazz as the sixth seed who like legitimately feel like a NBA finals contender. Right. I mean, truthfully. Uh, let me start with the Clippers Mavs here. I, I also think, and let's talk about it, Matthew. I also think the Clippers have it in the bag, but if that first game goes to Dallas, like it probably would have, if that awful, awful ref calling hadn't go, then this game is for game for a game seven. Kristaps Porzingis, you know, might not have to have done so much in the last two games in order to like, he tore his meniscus now. So he's out. And that's kind of the reason that they're out. You know, I think they, Doncic does need another player to dominate, and and I think that was it. But if that's it, Mavs are up three two. Doncic just needs one night of magic, and then they're in. So let's talk about it, refs. You screwed them in this one. You screwed them in this one. And so that's what I'll say. Also, how much better can Luka Doncic get? Like, let's say he improves over the next three years. He's the best player in the league by far. Like, I just don't. I just I can't even imagine that how he gets better. So that that's just I mean obviously the turnovers we talked about, but like you said, it's not that big of an issue. I I do think we're seeing the emergence of something just generational, honestly. So it, it's going to be really yeah. exciting to follow for sure. And I think the Clippers, like we said before, just like the Bucks, Paul George needs to perform because they can have all the bench players in the world. They're all going to only contribute a little bit. Paul George needs to be there with Kawhi contributing. Because let me tell you, if Paul George doesn't go there and it's Kawhi versus LeBron and AD in the end, they're going to get swept. 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 Well, too, I think Paul George, you know, like even talking about earlier about, you know, role players and how guys can affect the game. If if Paul George plays poorly, Paul George isn't going to be 0 for 5 and have shot some threes in, in the corner. He's gonna contribute. Like he's gonna have the ball in his hand and play so much that his poor play is going to negatively hurt them far more than it would be if he was just a role player. Right, and unfortunately for him, he he you know he has talked openly about like how this whole coronavirus and the bubble has affected his mental health, and so I hope he you know gets a good head on his shoulders a little bit in these next couple days and really comes into his own because you're right, he needs to be a not only a good player, but a good decision maker in order for this team to go as far as they can go. The Nuggets Jazz, I mean, do I think the Jazz are going to do anything after this series? I don't really think so. I think this is more a sign of two duos, you know, Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and Jokic and Jamal Murray 
you know, one upping each other in an epic clash. That's what I think it is. Do I think that they're going to perform the same if they played the Clippers or the Mavs in the next round? I don't think so. But I think it's exciting to watch. I think that all of these players, these teams are really good. It's surprisingly good. And if the Jazz were... Here, I got a question. If they played the Mavs next round, would you favor the Mavs? Is Kristaps Porzingis back? Sure. Slightly. Okay. I would slightly favor the Mavs because if... Okay, but here's what we're saying, right? You're saying that if Luka Doncic takes this team to a, to a game seven and beats the Clippers, yes, then I do vibe for the Mavs because for him to do that would be historical and then I wouldn't want to put anyone against him, truthfully. But that's fair, right? So I, But, like, you're right. The fact that I'm saying that's crazy because these two teams have done this, – this, this matchup has not only been fun, Matt, it's been historical. I mean, it's been historical. There's got some records in there and performances – that are ridiculous and really the nuggets are you know they were on the wrong side of jamal murray scoring 50 points and donovan mitchell scoring 51 they're just on the wrong side of that that's the only difference in this in this whole series otherwise it's a different series you know so i'm i'm really excited to see i hope it goes to a game seven um i don't know if either of these teams will continue to play as well as they have against stronger opponents. I think they're very evenly matched, and I think that's helping their confidence. I don't know if either of these teams go against the Clippers, for example, or the Mavs, whatever come out, that they play the same. And and past that, I don't think that you go up against LeBron and AD and play well, you know, in the same reference. But I'm excited for the matchup. Going to be really exciting. Everybody who hated on LeBron in the bubble and hated on the Lakers, how does it feel to be just so wrong? Like, just so very, very wrong. And and we talked about this, how LeBron James is now cementing his legacy as a top player, if not the top player in history, by, you know, changing the kind of player that he is. And now he's coupled his assist monstrosity that he's doing with scoring 30-plus points a game. And it's just like, how do you how do you do both of those things? I have no idea. And people you can know, still underestimate LeBron ever amazes me. I like what? Yeah. And I, and I was guilty of it a little bit, but I never said LeBron was, you know, I didn't think that LeBron was done or anything, but I will say, right. I, I, I did think, I did think, you know, we'll see, but I mean, the Lakers are the team to beat in the West. That's just it. The Lakers are the team to beat in the West. Do I think AD has to have those 40-point games? A lot of them. I think he does. I think he does, especially with all the great teams, especially if he, he's going to have to duel James Harden in scoring in order to, for the Lakers to win that Rockets series. I agree. I think the Rockets, uh, the Thunder did such a great job, but I think asking the Thunder to win three straight, you know, or two straight, it's just going to be really hard. You know, it's be difficult. That's real difficult, um, and I just don't think it's going to happen. Um so I think he's going to have to outduel James Harden and LeBron James, you know, can handle the rest, but he's going to have to do that. And like, he's found his consistency. So we're not knocking him for that. AD has been there when he's needed to be, but he's going to need to continue to be because you're right. Their bench does not strike fear into the hearts of anybody. So I think that it's, it's going to be a next series too, which like, all right, Rockets, if you want to play small ball with Anthony Davis, good luck. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And if and if AD can keep performing this way and LeBron can keep setting him up to succeed like he has been, I think LeBron is the best player and they win the win the championship. I'll say this right now. With the teams in the West right now, 
if they can get past the Rockets, and God knows what team comes out of the other side of that, right? If it's the Nuggets, if it's the Jazz, if it's the Mavs, if it's the Clippers, whatever team comes out of that is going to have beaten two great teams in order to get there. If the Lakers can beat that team from the West and then beat a team from the East that's going to be much better than a lot of teams from the East that come out, then I think LeBron James is the best player of all time. I'll say that right now. I think this is it. Yeah. I think this is it because for him to completely change the style of player that he is and set up AD to be a top five player in the league, the best big man in the league, I mean, that's something that Michael Jordan never did. So there you go. That's it. They're tied right now. Michael Jordan is slightly ahead in my head, in my head, you know. But if LeBron James pulls this off, I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> you right. can't say anything. He's taken a team on his back, both scoring and as as playmaker, multiple times. There's just nothing to say. So I think we're seeing something historic in that sense. We shall see if it comes to fruition. They still have a lot of work to do. But man, this Western Conference is going to get bloody. There's going to be just some fireworks. It's going to be so much fun to watch. And I honestly still hope we see a Clippers-Lakers you know, conference final because LeBron, you know, LeBron wants to beat Kawhi Leonard in order to get to the final. He wants to take those teams like they don't like each other. And I love it. Yes, they don't. They don't. don't. They don't. It's a rivalry in every sense of the word. And I'm saying I, I think to cement his place over Michael Jordan in this kind of in this playoff system. How else do you do it than by beating the former MVP you know, finals MVP to get to the final and then being the finals MVP yourself. There you go. That's it. That's it. There's nothing more to say. Yeah. Agreed. It's going to be, I mean, you know, as all playoffs do, as it progresses more and more, it gets more exciting. But I think with the, with the first round series we've had in the Western conference, the, uh, the future is very enticing for Certainly the West, but I think as we spoke earlier about the East, I think now the East is going to get a lot of fun. So I think this is going to be as as good of a playoffs as we've seen in the NBA for for quite some time. And I think too, part of that is you know for so many years we're like, well, it's the Warriors or the or the Cavs. Like it really is. I mean, yeah, the Bucks and the Lakers kind of feel like the favorites, but there's a lot of teams. I think when you look at this, that are like, yeah, they've, they've got as good a chance as anybody to, to make that run to the finals and take home the title. So it's, it's a blast. And I'm glad we've got some unexpected twists and turns back to the playoffs. Right. The upsets still need to happen, but they're set up. They are set up. So Jan, we've, we've discussed all things NBA playoffs now let's make our way over to to the ice, up to Canada for the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Take us through what's going on in there, my man. Right. Well, just like the NBA, obviously hockey, a different sport, but just like the NBA, the playoffs are get it, get very... It. <laughs> in case anyone was confused between the two. They are just... not the same. Let me be the one to tell you there's one big difference. Um, they're called pucks instead of balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, actually. <laughs> big brain time over here, baby. <laughs> there's no other There's no other difference. Anyway, um, oh, man, I just really want bi- – like, I, of course I don't, but of course I do. I wish basketball had a rule that if two guys want to go at it, 
just go at it. I would love to see. <laughs> All of a sudden, Patrick Beverly becomes the most valuable player in the, yeah. in the league to have. Mike Scott. Oh, that becomes an MVP. Markeith Morris. <laughs> Morris brothers don't even need that rule. They're just like, we're going to try and fight everybody anyway. We're, we're not playing hockey since when? No one told me that. <laughs> but yeah, the, the NHL playoffs well and truly underway. We're in the conference semifinals. And I'm just going to take you through them like you took me. And, and we'll talk about it. But yeah, let's start in the East. And I'm just going to get it over with because I'm so disappointed with them. Uh, the Lightning, the Tampa Bay Lightning are playing the Boston Bruins. Lightning placed uh, number two in the seeding round. Bruins placed number four. Two of the top offenses in the league. Best two teams in the East. Bruins led 1-0, but the Lightning have since won three straight to put Boston on the brink of elimination. And yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the past. The Bruins, the reason they did so bad in the round robin was because they had they couldn't find their offensive line. Right. And they're a decent team without it. But the reason that they had 100 points and went into the coronavirus break, the number one team, was because David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, and Brad Marchand were the best line in hockey. That's just the truth. They need that to be that team. They especially need it to beat a Lightning team that has the other best offense in the league. And they just haven't really shown up after game one. You know, they have five goals in three games. That's just not good enough. You have to have at least two or three per game. And the Lightning, on the other hand, literally can't stop scoring. Their players are firing on all cylinders. Andre Palat has been a revelation. He's got four goals in three games. And Nikita Kucherov, the reigning MVP, he's just assisting and defending out of his mind. You know, who, you know, another, we talked about Giannis in the NBA, you know, defensive MVP. He's going to end up, that's what defense, defensive play should be shown more respect in hockey as well. It's not shown a lot of respect in hockey because obviously you pay attention to goals and goaltending sometimes. But yeah, I think really we talked about it, Matt. And remember, I said the loss of Tuka Rask was not going to play a big part in this series. And I think I was wrong. And it's not because Halak hasn't done well. He really has. But because Halak has had a lot of pressure put on him and he had to sit out one of the games uh, kind of at the end because he was just playing terribly. And their rookie goaltender came in. It was a bloodbath. So I think not having Tuka Rask makes that confidence in the defense a lot weaker. And I think that's already on top of a team that has lost confidence in its front line. It's a lot of things going wrong in Boston, you know? And so I think the Bruins don't have a chance of holding them defensively. They're going to need to outshoot them. That's the only way they can to get back in the series. And I just, with the Lightning playing as well as they have and the Bruins playing as poorly as they have, I just don't think it's there. I think the Lightning probably beat them 4-1. to one. Lightning looked like the best team in the East again. So that's that series. Obviously disappointing for me as a Boston Bruins fan. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done to kind of gain consistency over the offseason. But they still are alive, so maybe they grab a game. We'll see. Uh, but I'm not putting my money on it for sure. Uh, the other semifinal in the East, kind of the upset, but I talked about this. We know it's not an upset because I talked about how it's not an upset. The Flyers against the Islanders. The Islanders lead two to one. And I told you, Matt, Flyers have showed offensive woes. In their first matchup, they couldn't outscore the Canadians in some of their games. And the Canadians had an even worse offensive than them. 
So I just think the Flyers have not shown up to play. And unlike the Canadians, the Islanders have the talent to exploit that. In two losses, right, in this series, I told that they were down 2-1. to one. In those two losses, the Flyers have scored one goal. They have scored one goal. The number one team in the East has scored one goal in two of those games, right? And the Islanders have 11 goals in those three games led by Anthony Bavillier and Andres Lade, who have three goals each, right? I just think it's clear. The Flyers have shown they aren't deserving of that number one seed that they got simply for being hot at the beginning of the round robin. Fair enough. The Islanders are the dark horse team in the East. Fair enough. Look for the Islanders to win this one four to one. I'd be very surprised if the Flyers grab another one. Yeah, Islanders are Islanders are playing well. And you you called that upset a a long time ago when we like first filled out our, our own little Stanley Cup brackets. Um, it does feel like the Lightning are really hitting their stride because as you said, the Bruins are certainly struggling, but sometimes the struggling for any team is because of the opponent that they're going up against and, and the lightning are becoming that high scoring team that we've seen them be throughout their, their history in, in the NHL. So it's looking like, I hope it's a lightning Islanders. I hope the Islanders can, can pull off another upset and maybe make it to the final, but it does seem like the lightning right now are kind of playing heads and shoulders above everyone else in the Eastern conference and have a good shot of making it back to the Stanley cup finals. I agree. And the lightning obviously had that last Stanley cup. They were supposed to be obviously, like I said, Nikita Kucherov was the MVP. They were supposed to be the team. They got upset in the earlier round. I think it's fitting that they go to the final in this one, but we'll see. There's still a lot of hockey to be played and you know, hockey can, anything can happen, you know? So it's true. Be really, True. At NHL playoffs, if you don't watch hockey, I get it. You know, hockey is a hard sport to get into if you didn't grow up around it. But the time you should be watching hockey is in the NHL playoffs because it is anybody's game. There is just no there. It's madness. It is absolute madness. And you will not regret it. You won't regret it. Truthfully, truthfully, truthfully. Let's talk about the West, though, Matt. The West is looking exciting. Lots of interesting matchups here so let's talk about it and by lots i mean two because there's only two but both of them are interesting so (laughs) let's talk about it we have the colorado avalanche versus the dallas stars avalanche finishing two stars finishing three in that preseason round robin you know it was a tight matchup on paper right two versus three but we talked about it the avs crushed the coyotes in the first round and their offense was red hot while the stars had this back and forth series with the flames they showed some offensive power but they also showed a lot of inconsistency with a team that they should have been better than so it looked like the avs were going to be the ones to win this series however the stars lead this one 2 to 1 so far kind of against everybody's better judgment it is a tight series let's say that really quickly the stars offense has been crazy good averaging almost five goals a game, right? But the Avs are averaging three goals a game. So really, it's just a goal fest. There's like nothing else to be said about it. It's just who can outshoot the other. And that's the best kind of NHL playoff game there is. Uh, The Stars were up 2-0. It looked like the Avs might fall into a 3-0 hole. But they did grab the last win to stay relevant in the series, thanks to their really talented core of Kadri, Nate McKinnon, and Rantanen. So it, I, it's going to be hard to call one in this game, uh, Matt. I think 
the stars have the hotter, maybe better offense, you know, with Jamie Benn and Pavelski and, and uh, Radulov. But I think the Avs have the more experienced, more talented core. So it's going to be interesting to see which of those prevail. It's just going to be a slugfest, though. And we've seen it in the games already, six to four and five to two. I mean, it's just been crazy. So it'll be really interesting to see who can outscore the other. So, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff happening in the West. You know, the Avalanche and Stars will see who comes out of that one. And they will have to play the winners of the of the winner. Not the winners. They can't both win. Um, the Golden Knights. What if that was it? They were so good. Stanley Cup playoff history. Both teams on to the finals. Right. They're just like, look, we can't separate you guys. So let's take the both best players from both of your teams, combine them, and then you both get to win the Stanley Cup trophy if you win. Wow. That'd be lit. That'd be, yeah. I think they would be the favorites. They would be the favorites. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Golden Knights playing the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, the Vancouver Canucks at the five seed, upsetting the Stanley Cup champions in the first round of the playoffs, the St. Louis Blues. They had a surprisingly good series, you know, led by JT Miller, uh, Peterson, Bo Havert. And yeah, they look like a good side. We knew they were a good side. Their power play efficiency is crazy. And they beat the St. Louis Blues. Am I surprised the Blues were upset, though? Not really. And... Is it a shock that they beat the Blues? No. And are the Golden Knights the best team in the West? Yes. So the Golden Knights lead 2-1. to one. And the Canucks did have a win, you know, a good 5-2 win in the middle of the series. But the Golden Knights are the much stronger team. And in order for the Canucks to really have a chance, they really need Bo Horvat, Peterson, and JT Miller to have their shooting skates on. They need to outperform Riley Smith, Marchezo, and Pacioretty. Is that going to happen consistently enough where they can come back from 2-1 down? I don't think so. And if you look at the games, right? Yes, the Golden Knights lost 5-2 to two in the middle game. But any team can have a bad game. Like, any team can have a bad game. In hockey, it, once you have a bad game, it's really hard to draw back on it. You know, it's it just happens sometimes. It's kind of like baseball. But in the opening game, the Golden Knights won 5-zip, right? And, and you should have seen the Vancouver Canucks. They were yelling at each other. They looked defeated from that game. So I think that's the how the rest of the series goes. I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks grab another game. I also wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks lose 4-1 to one in this series. I just think the Golden Knights are the best team in the West. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They're averaging three goals a game, which is decent. And even more importantly, they are averaging less than two goals a game against the Canucks, right? So... I think their defense is just really good. And something that's that I think we need to talk about is they have the best duo goalkeeper uh, situation going on in the entire league. I mean, you have Mark Andre Fleury, who is an MVP goalkeeper of all, you know, every single season he's up there with the best goalkeepers. And then you sign in the offseason Robert Leonard from the Blackhawks, who's also a great goalkeeper. So now you have Fleury in most of the time, Leonard coming in, getting a shout out if you need it. You literally can't score on them. Their goaltenders are so good. So I think that's really going to be the driving force behind their defense. And I think the Golden Nuts, Golden Nuts, Golden Knights, grab this one. The Golden Nuts. The lost Knights. their name. Yeah. Uh, the I, Golden uh, let's Knights. Go Knights. Let's go Knights. Yeah. The Golden Knights grab this got, one against. There's them. enough Golden Nuts around Vegas. There is. That's so freaking true. Uh, the Golden Knights are probably going to grab that one against the Canucks. And we'll see who they play against the Avalanche of the Stars. How's the West looking to you, buddy? Yeah, I think, I mean, I applaud the Canucks for even fighting back in that game, too, because after that game one 5-0 loss, I think it would have been, especially against a team like the Knights, who, as you said, just kind of 
clearly seem like the best team top to bottom, both both offensively, defensively, having that rotation with their goalkeepers. Um, so for the Canucks to be able to fight back that game too, showed a lot of grit and a lot of heart. I think game four is obviously they have to have this. They go down three one. It's it's going to be the Knights. I think even if the Canucks win the win tonight and and tie it at two two, it it seems like the Knights are the favorite. As far as Stars Avalanche, you know the st- Stars are real close to really putting this one almost to bed. But the Avalanche have been so good at times that even though the Stars have been the better team and have the two one lead, it still feels like any anybody's game in that one. So. It's feeling like the favorites like is a Knights Lightning Stanley Cup final. But as we've said so many times, and we'll continue to say, the NHL playoffs is just it's a crapshoot at times. And it one team can look a lot better in one series. I mean, the Bruins, I think last round were looking as good as anybody in the NHL. And now, you know, down and even we're up one game on the Lightning, and now we're down three one. So it's it is all about kind of keeping that level head. And making it back. But, you know, a lot of these Knights players have the benefit, too, of they made that Stanley Cup run a couple of years ago. This is this is something they've they've done before to go that far. So the West feels a little more open. Uh, and I don't think anybody but the Canucks would would not be a surprise to me. If the Canucks make it, I would be probably surprised. But um, it's going to be a lot of fun watching watching those games and as things intensify, these games become more and more meaningful. So, who do you sure. right now? If you had to have predict a, a Stanley Cup final, who do you who do you have there? I think Golden Nuts, Golden Nuts, gosh, dad, <laughs> that's Knights. just their team name now. I'm phone in Vegas for that one. The I think it's going to be the Las Vegas Golden Knights and against the. Um, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's kind of what I'm guessing. Uh, my dark horse final is the Dallas Stars against the New York Islanders. And I would love to see that game. So I think that's... Yeah. I think Stars that's the, are de- dangerous. They're real dangerous. Stars, they're offensively on fire. The Islanders are offensively on fire. That's every man's favorite and Stanley Cup final. And the two teams, right, too. Dallas and, and Long Island, basically. It's crazy, you know? So I... I'm here for it. I'm really here for it. For sure. Absolutely. It'll be it'll be a fun end to the Stanley Cup finals as we keep our our eye on that and what goes on between those those last eight teams fighting fighting for the cup. Fighting for the cup. All right, Jan, we're gonna go over to talk a little baseball. We are gonna give our top five teams, our power rankings, if you will. Uh, I'll I'll start with my five, then I'll let you I mean, I'm going to start with my fifth team, and then I'll let you do your fifth, and we'll go back and forth that way instead right. of just you know listing them down. So number five, I still got the New York Yankees. They started the season really strong, and they certainly have cooled down as of late. But as far as talent goes, this is one of the most talented rosters in baseball, probably only beaten by the Dodgers. They've got those bombers in Stanton and Judge. Of course, the improving pitching roster led by the new signing Garrett Cole. I think the biggest question for the Yankees, which has been kind of a recurring theme for them the last few years, is, is can they stay healthy? You got Stanton and Judge on 10-day IL right now. Um, some injuries in the pitching staff. So they're going to have to stay healthy. Otherwise, 
I think they'll be a little disappointed. But if they can keep those guys healthy, they certainly have the talent to to make a deep run. And I think probably should be higher than five in the, in the power rankings if they can be that keep that health. So where you, who do you have at number five? So I do not have the Yankees in my top five. I love the Yankees. And of course, Aaron Judge is healthy. He showed at the beginning of the season what he can do. Giancarlo Stanton, they have Garrett Cole, obviously, obviously, but they're not healthy. And you have to take that into account. Aaron Judge even tried to come back and immediately went back on IL. So I just think it's hard for me to put them in the top five, especially with so many other teams doing as well as they have. I'm going to put a team that was in the kind of conversation for the wrong reasons, but is performing really well, since, especially since they took care of their two dumb, dumb pitchers. The Cleveland Indians I'm going to have at number five. I just think the Cleveland Indians are playing really well. They have a lot of young talent and they have Shane Bieber. And Shane Bieber, he is the AL Cy Young winner. I'm calling it right here. Shane Bieber, it's his AL Cy Young. That's what it is. And I just think their pitching is phenomenal. You know, they're letting, they let Clevenger and Plesak go. Clevenger might get traded to the White Sox is what I'm hearing. Plesak has been told there is not a spot for you. I think that kind of team unity really helped them. And they are just performing really well. You know, 19 and 12 in a hard division. Yeah, I, I mean, as I, I'll quickly even just go to my fourth team because my fourth team is the Cleveland Indians. They uh, they've yes. struggled to hit. They've struggled to hit. Their team average is about two twenty, which isn't great. And I think they will have to improve that if they want to make you know a World Series run and go far in the playoffs. But really, in the playoffs, it does all matter about your pitching. And, and you mentioned Shane Bieber, Carlos Carrasco has been great. Adam Plutko. I mean, they've had easily the best pitching staff this year in the MLB. And even you know struggling with their hitting, they've been one of the best teams in the AL Central, which the AL Central I feel like always is just an absolute battle. You got the Twins, you got the White Sox. So it's going to be a a battle for them. But with a pitching staff like that, if they can stay hot and and get a little more better hitting from the uh, position players, and I think this is a, a team with a real threat to take home the World Series. Who do you have at number four? Right. I definitely think they need to find some hitting groove in order for them to make a World Series run. But yeah, their pitching's better than everyone. And who would have thought with them losing two starting pitchers to a dumb, dumb situation like they did, right? And it's crazy how that happened. If they still had Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak, one would say, like, how good could they be right now? But let's go on. At number four, I do have, we just mentioned them, the Twinnies, the Minnesota Twinnies. Oh my goodness, Nelson Cruz looks like he's 20 freaking years old. He looks like he, Matt, he looks like he's 20 <laughs> freaking years old. My goodness, he has 27 RBIs in 31 games and he's 40 years old. He has 11 home runs. The dude is the best designated hitter in baseball and he continues to prove it year after year. And they've got decent pitching i think their pitching probably needs to improve a tiny bit but they got decent pitching they have good all-around field players do i think jorge polanco needs to step it up absolutely i do but i think the twins are very 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 good and i have them at the number four spot solely off the back of the ageless wonder nelson cruz every year the twins are good which is honestly most years than not it I feel like everyone's just like, how are the twins doing it again? Like, how are they like, 
They always have one of the lowest kind of payrolls in the MLB. They just they just play well, and uh, it's always like, how can you not like the Twins? Like, I just don't know anyone that's like, ah, I I hate the Twins. I they suck. Like, they just they do it they do it the right way for a stupid sports cliche. I'm not sure what the right way is, but when you say it, it's dumb, but people know Matt, what you mean. Would you say the right way would be not stealing signs and cheating to win a World Series? Would that would be the right way? Yes. That that would fall under the right way. Not stealing cool. signs. But um <laughs> yeah, just making sure. That definitely definitely one is not the right way. That's such a horrible I'm so mad I even use that that cliche. What is the right way? I don't freaking know. I apologize. I'm better than that. All right. You are. Number three on my power rankings. We're going out west. We're going to the Oakland A's. They are doing it the Oakland way by committee. One of the deepest rosters in the majors, a pitching rotation that's full of value contributors. It, it's just the classic Oakland way of like they've just got the guys that, that get on base, that get hits, that hit, make the plays when things need to happen for them. Do they have kind of like a game breaker? Do they have the, the starting pitching that's really going to push them over to win a title? I don't know. I think they're probably going to run into the same struggle they've, str- they've run in in the past with their kind of philosophy. But right now they're playing as good as anybody, and it's a team that's really just got contributors from top to bottom. I love Hillcon Athletics, and uh, Matthew, I'll be talking about them a little later on even. That's how much I love the Oakland Athletics. But nice. let's talk about my number three. It's so crazy in a division with the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox that the best team to talk about are the Tampa Bay Rays. They are phenomenal they have the pitching is back. We saw, oh my goodness, if I don't remember his name, I'm going to lose my mind. Who's the young pitcher? Give me a second, Matthew. Blake Snell? No, the other guy. Blake Snell's been doing great. No, the other guy. His name is, I'm going to do a quick Google search in my head. Definitely not like out loud. Uh, let me see. His name is, oh, I'm going to hit myself for this. Tyler Glasnow, finally getting his pitching hand back. He's a great young pitcher. He finally had a good game the other day. I think their pitching is phenomenal. You mentioned Blake Snell, obviously. And really just led by, again, an all-around team. We're, we're seeing this with the Athletics, with the Twins, with the Rays, with the Indians. It's about how many good players you have, not about if you have the best players necessarily. And they have Brandon Lowe, his second baseman, right? The best second baseman in all of baseball right now, in my opinion. And arguably, maybe the American League MVP. I mean, he's got 10 home runs. He's got 27 RBIs. You know, he's slashing a ridiculous number there. So I just think that the Tampa Bay Rays, 21 and 11, they showed their prowess against, granted, an injured Yankee side. Uh, but they showed that they can take it to this this division and in total to the rest of the league. So at number three, I have the Tampa Bay Rays. I hate that Tampa Bay is good at baseball and hockey and football. What is that about? I That is ridiculous. Okay, the jury's still out on the football team. <laughs> They're not going to make the playoffs. That's oh, they aren't. They're not going to make the playoffs. Not even a no. wild card. Ooh, nah. okay. we'll talk about that a different episode. But not happening. Oh, but uh, that is you've you've intro- given me a good introduction here again. Number two, I have the Rays. Uh, you mentioned the pitching staff, and I think most importantly, you mentioned Brandon Lowe leading the league at one point nine nine wins above replacement. 
They've won 17 of their last 20 games after starting six and eight. The team just the Rays are another team like kind of like the Twins, where like sometimes you're like, how are how are you guys doing this? But they're they're a franchise that you know they use their farm system as well as anybody, use their payroll well, um, and and they're they're able to find those young guys like Lowe or, or Blake Snell, and um, I think they're definitely a threat to get back to the World Series. Probably going to be their best season since Mr. Madden's left Tampa. So Rays at number two for me. Who do you have in that second spot? Well, we mentioned them earlier, and I'll bring it up now. I have the Oakland A's at number two. I think they're very, very good. They're 22-10. and 10. You know, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon, obviously lots of star names in my opinion there. They didn't have the best start, right? But obviously some of those players really caught fire. And they kind of have some interesting help coming around that they didn't really expect. You know, they have Robbie Grossman out in the outfield, you know, veteran guy, but he's got a crazy amount of, of uh, outfielding talent going on. He looks like he's a changed man as well. Give it up for the old guys coming back and making a difference. You know, the Nelson Cruises, the Robbie Grossens. We love that. We love that in baseball. Give it to me every day, you know? And uh, I just think the Oakland Athletics have a great all-around team. They have the best closer in baseball as well in Liam Hendricks. You know how I know this. He is on my fantasy baseball team, and he is winning me games, like, single-handedly. So... I think that they have a good system there. You're right. They don't have a starting pitcher. You know, Matt Kanya is obviously uh, another good talent in the batting order, so I need to mention him as well. But they don't really have a good, good, good starting pitcher. They do need to find that maybe or establish that. But everywhere else, they are as good as any other team. So I have them at number two. I think uh, I think pitching-wise, sometimes, I mean, you always you want that game-breaker, but sometimes it's, it's better to to have it done by committee and have just you know a deep bullpen and and good guys for saves and such. I think that can go as long as away as you know having that one great pitcher. As we know, I think I'm going to assume you've got the same number one team for me as me. I think it's kind of hard to pick anyone else, but we know this we team is. Me- we haven't mentioned them yet, so I really hope. So. Yeah, <laughs> it would be quite a surprise. Uh, but we know this team has had you know one of the best pitchers in the league for a while, and it still hasn't quite meant the success in October that they, they'd like. The L.A. Dodgers is, of course, who I'm talking about. They still do have that great pitching. You know, Clayton Kershaw, regardless of his playoff struggles, he's still one of the best regular season pitchers in the MLB. They've got bats after bats after bats. I mean, obviously, you already have guys like Corey Seager, Peterson, Bellinger. Of course, Justin Turner's been doing it there forever. And the addition of Mookie Betts has only made their offense that much more dangerous. They have a plus 85 run difference, in, which is leading the MLB. The second highest is Cleveland at plus 45. I mean, the Dodgers are, are absolutely dominating people. And I think, too, you know, we've seen them be so close and, and get to the World Series and just not be able to get past that hump. Now, of course, there's a little more behind maybe why that didn't happen. But I think this team is really, really motivated. It kind of reminds me of Bayern the year after they lost to Chelsea in the Champions League. And it like I think both these teams felt cheated, probably more so for the Dodgers specifically cheated, but they both felt like they they should have gotten that. And they've come back the next year just so zoned in, so focused on their goal that it's going to be tough to, to stop this team with the pitching and the bats that they have out there in L.A. Right. And I mean, if they stay healthy, there's no way. And I, and I have to say, you know, I'm so, of course, 
Oh, my Boston Red Sox. They just traded Mitch Moreland to San Diego Padres as well. So my whole team, as I know them, is gone, which is really sad. But um, the Mookie Betts trade, I'm so very happy for him because he's not only playing well and playing happy. He's he's playing when Cody Bellinger is not your best player. That's a team you're scared of, right? When 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 all of these players that you just mentioned are like your third and fourth, we didn't even mention Chris Taylor, who's a great second baseman. Like truthfully, we like they have so many great players, and yet you have this guy, Mookie Betts, leading the Dodgers in absolutely everything: in hits, in runs, in home runs, in RBIs, in stolen bases, in 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 uh, OPS. I mean, truthfully, in everything, and. He's a team leader in that bullpen as well. And I think you're right. I think they deserve it. And I hope that they win. Now that I can say the Red Sox have no chance, I hope that they win. I do really do. That's who they're, I'm going. They're due. They do. They, they do deserve to win. Because you just, know what? They're just due. They got cheated out of the win against the Astros for sure. And I, as a fan, I'll say they probably got cheated out of the Red Sox win as well. And so I think that it's time they are not only the best team in baseball, but they are the best team of baseball, period. They have no equals. And I just think anybody betting against them is going to lose their money. I would agree. I would agree. So it's, I mean, I'm not surprised our number ones were the same. It's tough to, I mean, I think they've they've just clearly been the best team from, from the start. And it does not seem like they're going to be slowing down by any means. So well, especially with, with will this the, finally be their their season and will they finally take home the crown? It's tough to bet against them. Right, for sure. And with the LAL being all over the place, I mean, we talked about a lot of good AL teams, but no one is the clear favorite. So it's whoever comes out of that league is going to be good, but the Dodgers should sweep them, honestly, whoever it is. Unless the Yankees get super healthy and make a run, I don't think that there's a chance. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, Jan, this is going to be time just for you to, to live in the glory. Champions. Although there's not that much to say about the game. It was kind of, honestly, I was disappointed by, by the game as, in itself. I wanted to see a little more fireworks between the two clubs. But I am happy for you. Of course, Bayern Munich winning the Champions League. They're sixth Champions League. Now, the only, one of only four teams with six or more joining Liverpool, AC Milan, and Real Madrid. Probably more impressively, joining Barcelona as the only European clubs to ever do the treble more than once. Jan, how are you feeling? What are your thoughts post-Champions League and treble accomplishment for Bayern? I'm not going to lie. My thoughts during the game and after the game were not happy ones. I was very happy that Byron won and I thought they deserved it. And what a historical moment. But I am sick and tired of mostly American and British announcers wanting to talk about anything but the actual winner of a game. I truthfully They're can't still, stand it. No, just going to complain about them talking about Neymar. I have to complain about now it. Sorry. But you've complained about it three times, so now you're joining the same cycle that you're upset about, Jan. Okay, you've, you're right. You've become, your, you've become your own worst enemy. Oh <laughs> I'm just sick of it. But what I will say was Bayern deserved it. From head to toe, Bayern deserved this win. And I think people say because we dominated so much, they will say – Oh, like, you know, how how historical was it, right? But let's remember what 
draw we got going into the knockout stage. We had Chelsea. We had Barcelona. We were supposed to have played Juventus in the semifinals. And the only reason we did is because Lyon beat them, right? And then we had to play PSG. We had to play every good team that came out of this league. We beat the best. We are the best. And I'm just very excited to see them win. They were the first team to win every Champions League game in a Champions League victory. Hansi Flick somehow is the fifth oldest coach to win, like even though he's only 55 freaking years old. That's crazy. Right? Isn't that crazy? And and Sir Alex Ferguson is is a duo there. So really, like, he's he's the other old one. But, I mean, just a lot of different hallmarks here. Obviously, Kingsley Coman coming back to Paris and making the difference. That's a story in itself. And really good for him. He had so many injury worries. We thought, man, he's not even really going to make it to 25 and, and like, be a consistent player. Um, but he showed that he is. Hansi Flick showing his coaching prowess. He started Ivan Perisic every other game, but he knew he needed to start Kingsley Coman, and he did. He made some questionable decisions down the stretch, taking Coman out too early, in my opinion, but he did make that starting change, and it delivered. Manuel Neuer showed that he is once again the best goalkeeper in the world, kept Neymar and Mbappe at bay. Obviously, PSG fluffed their lines and got more than enough opportunities to put Bayern away. But I will say it before and I will say it again. It's not about the chances you have. It's about the conversion that you can put in them. And that is what we did. We didn't have a lot of chances. We put away the one that we did have. Lewandowski did not have the impact that he had at the beginning of the tournament as he did kind of on the rest of it but again best striker in the world for me and sad that he doesn't get his run at the Ballon d'Or hopefully that maybe that changes we shall see uh Bayern is now the third team in history to hit the 500 goal mark in Champions League history behind guess who Barcelona and Real Madrid let me tell you that guys when you talk about the best team in history in, in the history of soccer, when you talk about the best teams and you're mentioning teams ahead of Bayern other than Barcelona and Real Madrid, you're wrong. And that says it right there. We have the history. We have the talent now. Bayern Munich is in the top three teams of all time, and they are the top team right now. I'm very excited. It was coming and coming for so many years. You know, we lost to the Cristiano Ronaldo's and the Lionel Messi's in his prime. And it was just our turn up. And I'm glad that they did you know, get it done because it was hard. It was not easy. And they did get the job done. Now, obviously they lose Tiago, probably Boateng, probably Tolisso and probably Perisic after this great, you know, run, but they gain Leroy Sané and they stay otherwise mostly unchanged. You know, they could use another wing back. So Kimmich can move back in the middle. They can use another defensive midfielder to make up for Javi Martinez, who's also kind of going on and they could use a striker, but I think Leroy Sané is going to kind of move into that striker position. But you know, we won the Champions League. We won the Dave Bay Pokal. We won the Bundesliga. We won it in the middle of a pandemic. We won it when we were the favorites. We won it when we were not the favorites. We did everything that we had to do. And so up until someone shows me that they are dominant as we are, Bayern Munich is the best team in the world. And you can write that down. Yeah, I mean, I think the Champions League, anytime you win the Champions League, I don't, I don't think we see a lot of teams win the Champions League that don't, that didn't deserve it. Like, you can get to the final with some lucky breaks here and there, but I don't – I mean, I can't think of a champions – I maybe the Chelsea team that I mentioned earlier when they beat Bayern, that didn't really – They I don't think anyone was like, yeah, they're the best team in the world. But for the most part, the team that wins the Champions League, I think, is pretty clearly the best team in the world. And as far as, like, yeah, I guess they didn't have to play Juve or Manchester City, but I, I think that's more – 
personally to Byron's credit, because yeah, that is, that's the difficult part of a tournament. Like sometimes you're gonna not play your best day and it might be against a team you should, you should beat, but you did it like that consistency and that ability to show up every day. And even their game against Lyon wasn't their best showing, but they won. And the end of the day, that's all that matters. Like I said, Lewandowski didn't have a great game, but I think part of the power of a guy like Lewandowski is that whether he's having a great game and whether he ever gets really any scoring opportunities, the defense is always still going to be keen in on him, which automatically creates opportunities and space for other players to to go and get a goal. So just him as a decoy is extremely potent because because of the scoring prowess he has. So yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear Bayern's the best team in in the world right now. Obviously, that that changes. You know, I think I think Liverpool will be back dangerous in the Champions League next year. We'll see what happens with the Spanish sides. We'll see what happens with PSG. I mean, I think I mentioned it before. I think them getting through the quarterfinals and just getting to that final. I think that's a big hump to get over for them. Where now I think, like I even this year, it was like, ah, are they legitimate? contenders yet because they haven't really shown it i think now they've gotten a pretty big monkey off their back where i think they're going to be a bigger threat there isn't that thing in the back of their mind like manchester city still clearly can't get over as we saw in their loss to leon so it's going to be another fun champions league next year but for now i think it's pretty clear that that Bayern is the best team in soccer thank you yes and i'd like to say to my friend ryan collins who is a psg fan i apologize but I do not apologize in which to say, sorry, not sorry. No, no love lost. No love lost. (laughs) All right, guys. So NFL football right around the corner, which means fantasy drafts are coming up. I got one tonight, one tomorrow. I think ours is in like four days. Thursday. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So fantasy drafts are getting going. We saw Lewis Hamilton with a nice win today. He's, Cementing that status atop of the Formula One standings again. Gave a nice shout-out to gave a nice shout out to Mr. Chadwick Bozeman. Uh Pierre Emerick Aubameyang did the same thing yesterday on his goal scoring, Arsenal winning the FA Community Shield. And we're gonna keep our eye on a course on the NHL and NBA playoffs, as well as everything that these athletes are doing in the fight against racial injustice. Uh, and we got the US Open tournament coming. The shout-outs for today, we're both kind of sharing the shout-out. We're giving a little more love to our guy, Chadwick Bozeman. Please go and indulge yourself in his work. The man has a knack, too, for playing black icons in America. So if you haven't seen 42, where he plays Jackie Robinson, if you haven't seen Get On Up, where he's James Brown, if you haven't seen Marshall, where he plays Thurgood Marshall, go do it. The guy's an incredible actor, an incredible storyteller, and you will love all those movies, I can, I can guarantee you. Or just go watch Black Panther again, because there's nothing wrong with ever doing that. Right. And yeah, shout out definitely to Chad Boswick um, today. On Instagram, Josh Gad, uh, the actor, shared a text that one of the last texts he got from Chadwick Boseman. And it's beautiful. If you want to check it out on Josh Gad's Instagram, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he just has the way that he talks is just you can tell that it's someone who is completely at peace with who he is and where his his legacy was in the world. And, And tragic loss, but... I do not loss, I do not, sorry, I do not mourn that he did not live. I mourn that he's gone because he lived more lifetimes in his 43 years than I'm sure most of us will ever live in 80 or 90 that we get. So 
if it's anything, it teaches us to, you know, go for purpose and go with the time we have and not worry about the little things that we so often do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think as we even mentioned to Kobe earlier, there's, and there's that great picture of Kobe and Chadwick Boseman going around. I think those two, those two guys epitomized living every single moment to the absolute fullest. And if there's anything that can be learned from both of them, I think, I think it's that. And that's a lesson that's never, never not worth relearning. Yeah, for sure. And two of the best icons to look after for that. All right, Jan, it's your favorite time. It's quick fire question time. No! With me. Turn up the heat, people. It's quick fire time. All right, first one. Okay. Oh, we're diving right in. You don't even get time to Ah! complain about it. If you could start an NBA franchise with any one player right now, who are you picking? Uh, are we taking age into account? Yes. Yeah. So LeBron as he is right now, not like LeBron at 18. Okay. Okay. Luka Doncic. No question. No question at all. He's 21 years old, guys. He's 21 years old. He's 21 years old. He has barely any gaps in his game, guys. Luka Doncic. I think I, I kind of think I do the same. It's tough not to pick Giannis because I mean, Giannis is only 25 and just that size and stuff, but I kind of think I go Luca as well. All right, fantasy question. We kind of talked about this oh, earlier. Gosh. Which quarterback are you taking first, Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes' way of playing is much more sustainable than Lamar Jackson's. I'm not hitting on Lamar Jackson like some people do, where they're like, oh, he's still running back, yada, yada. He's amazing as a dual quarterback threat. I just think that we're more likely to see Lamar Jackson run less than we are to see Patrick Mahomes throw less. So that's kind of where I'm going. And I think Patrick Mahomes has shown over multiple seasons that he is a fantasy goat. Yeah, I think that I think that's a big part of it too. If, if, if he's just shown it a few more years, and and just the weapons. I mean, every quarterback needs to have people to get the ball to, you know. And the weapons in Kansas City, I think, are pretty obviously better than over there in Baltimore. All right, last quick fire question: With many of the small conferences not playing this year, Pac-12, Big Ten, still kind of trying to figure it out. You even got guys like Jamar Chase, who recently has decided he will forego the season. Does winning a Heisman this year mean less? Um, I love that. I love that sigh of just. I hate you. Pain. That's what that sigh. That's yeah, what that exactly. sigh is. I very much hate you for asking that. I hate, I hate. I hate saying that anything means less in this time. Because the NBA champion won't mean less. And like we even thought baseball is going to mean less because of the like half season. But if the Dodgers win, I don't think it means less for them either. However, no, it doesn't mean less. It doesn't mean less. Because I think you haven't, you, regardless of who would have played and who could have played, you still have to have someone come out on top of everyone else. And regardless of who's there or who's not, it's about you performing, right? Of course, you can make arguments here and there and here and there, but you can kind of talk all you want about like the ifs and the and the could-haves. And that's not what sports is about. The sports is about the here and now. And here and now, there are these selection of teams. And, you know, it's kind of like, 
you know, what would have happened if if Baker Mayfield in his year got injured and and lost the Heisman? Could you say that that Heisman winner is valid? You would have to say that. And and like it seems unfair because obviously if he hadn't been injured, he would have won like he did. Uh, but I just think saying it's invalid is dumb. And I think enough play- teams are playing where that's also dumb, especially because the SEC is still playing. So it's like you still have tons of great teams, and yeah, players are leaving, but that just leaves an avenue for other players to rise. And I think we're going to see an interesting Heisman race for sure. It's going to be unlike anything we've seen before, but I still think a Heisman trophy is a Heisman trophy. Yeah. I mean, I think for the individual player, I don't I don't know how you could like – I don't see the person winning it being like, ah, well, this isn't as good. Like, I think individually it does. I think historically it might, but at the same time, I don't think in 10, 15 years time, somebody's going to look back and be like, oh, that guy that won it that year, but that was the pandemic and like a bunch of teams didn't play. So he actually sucked. Like, right. I think it's it's probably going to be a worthy winner regardless. Like, I, I think there is a le- little bit less luster to it initially, but at the end of the day, you still got to go out and win the Heisman, and you can also only you can only play with the opponents and such that you. I mean, you can only do what's right in front of you, and it's not any of these guys' fault or the winner's fault that like it wasn't the full field or what have you. Like they can only they can only do what they can do. So, right, and that's like saying, "Hey, Uruguay won the Euro- World Cup in 1930." I'm like, "Yeah, that's when eight teams were playing. That doesn't yeah. count." Right, right. But we can't, we don't say that, right? We say that counts still. So or the th- the Toronto Maple Leafs have like twenty seven Stanley Cups. They won a ton of those when there was only six teams in the NHL. But nobody's like, well, those ones don't really count. Like it's that's just how right. that's just how it played out. Yeah, it is. And I think what what I will say is, do I think this year that the Heisman player, the Heisman Trophy winner is far less likely to get drafted really high? Yes, I think so. I think that's what we can say. I think the Heisman Trophy gets him a higher draft grade, but I think more than usual, we're going to see him drafted lower than we would expect a Heisman Trophy winner to get drafted. I think it probably depends on the player, because if Trevor Lawrence goes and wins the Heisman, he's still going to be going number one. Yeah, but I get what you fair. mean. I get what you mean where like, the the winning of it won't be as boosting to one's draft status as a lot of times it is. That yeah, it won't necessarily mean that he's the best player going into the draft. It will mean that he's the best player in college football, though. For sure. All right, Jan, I got one more question for you. What do you have right now on your shelf? What are you listening to in your stereo? What are you reading? Give me give me something that you're enjoying non-sports-wise at the moment. Non-sports-wise. Well, really, I'm going to... I take your question and I ignore it. No, um, I'm saying I really want to give a shout out to the, Greenie, off, Matt. to the to the to the Greeny Radio Show that's back on. I'm really glad Mike Greenberg's back on radio. So I will say that's on my stereo a lot. But non sports wise, my favorite band just came out with a new album, The Killers. They came out with the album Imploding it's the Mirage. So good. It's so good. I love my boys. And I don't care what anyone says about them making the same music. You know what? They are, and it's still fucking good. So get over it. <laughs> I like I always think that critique of like most bands is is kind of stupid. Or like right. people I'm like, yeah, I mean, they have like their sound. I don't really know. Like that's like you can make, make 10 different albums. Because the thing the thing is too, then when like an artist or a band makes an album that's like a little bit different than what's been like what they've done before, then people are like dislike it or they're like, oh, they're not who they are anymore. Like they've changed or all this BS. Like people just want to critique shit with bad critiques. 
Right, exactly. That's that's like synonymous with saying like, oh, you know what? LeBron James is so great at scoring and assisting, but he's not the best stealer and therefore he's irrelevant now because he doesn't steal as much as we... Like, why doesn't he do steals? Or like, oh, why didn't he block more people this year? That's stupid. He's good at yeah. what he's good at and that's what makes him good. That's enough. I agree. Uh, I got on my on my shelf. I've been listening to that as well. So I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. I'm reading a book called Song of Achilles. It's by uh, an author named Madeline Miller. This is the second book I've read of hers. The other one is Circe. They're kind of just not modern retellings, but uh, retellings of, of, you know, Greek folklore. The other one I read was Circe. So it's all about the, uh, the kind of god, magician, wizard, witch that is Circe. This one's about the, the love between Achilles and Patrocles. Just really good stories. And like, I love Greek mythology and and greek history and stuff so it's kind of fun to have more of a modern writing to it because i think sometimes the the age of those stories is a little tough to slog through but she's a brilliant writer and not so much of like looking at the story like it's not like a wicked where it's like oh we're gonna completely change the story as much as just be like here's a story more from this sort of perspective which i always think is a fun kind of way to to explore a story especially stories like those that are as old as Time itself, it feels like. Tale as old as time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> great, great tune. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Register to vote. Hug your mother. Go watch some Chadwick Boseman. Just live your life to the fullest. Nice little cheesy moment there. Jan, you got anything else for the wonderful people? Yeah, I just think... Chadwick Boseman lived his life based on the purpose that he felt from what he had inside of him. And I think that's how we should all live our lives. Purpose does not come through career. Purpose does not come through a job. Purpose comes from the thing that is inherently inside of you and how you decide to share it with the world. Share it with the world, both for yourself and for everybody else. That's what I love about him. He somehow put himself both first and last. And that's something I think you know, a balance that we should all try to find in our lives. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you again, guys. We appreciate it. We hope to uh, be talking to you soon again. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Wakanda forever. <laughs>